What's, what's the acronym that's, that defines Calvinism? Tourette. That's right. All right, so let's, let's, go, let's go step by step here and, and see, uh, once again, this is the last lesson on TULIP to see what it means. And, and I'm actually going to give you an acronym like TULIP, but actually defines what the truth is, what the Bible teaches. Okay? So I'm going to give you another acronym so you can see. The Calvinists made this acronym so it would be easier for them to remember what their, what their theology teaches, what they think the Bible teaches. So they made this TULIP. But I have a different acronym that I made today. Uh, that's going to define what the truth is in our mind. So T stands for total depravity, right? Total depravity or Daniel? Total inability. Total inability, that's right. Total depravity or inability. Okay, and can anyone tell me what this means? Yeah? We sin because Adam sinned. So basically the catchphrase you can remember for this, false, this part of this teaching is that total depravity teaches that uh, you sin because you're a sinner. Whereas the Bible teaches you're a sinner because you sin. Okay? So they teach that original sin is involved in this as well. It's, it's very, very closely connected to total depravity or total inability. It's original sin. And original sin teaches that because Adam sinned in the garden, we're guilty of Adam's sin. We deserve punishment and judgment because of Adam's sin. And therefore, if a baby dies in their sins, they would go to hell as well. And one thing they did because they believed this, they, they started uh, doing infant baptism. If you're, if you're a baby and you got baptized, you're okay with God. Okay? Uh, but people aren't born sinners. People are born neutral. Okay? Sin is not some stuff that's inside of you. Sin is a free will, moral action. It's a choice you make. A choice to disobey God or to obey God. Okay? And it's willful. It's never accidental. It's not like, oops. You know, it's something you do willfully. You know, we also talked about how, how children, there's an age of accountability or an age of knowledge. Where once a child understands things correctly, then they're accountable to God for their actions. But up until that point, they're not accountable to, their, to God for their actions because they're not a moral agent. Because morality uh, means you have to understand what you're doing when you make a choice. Okay? But children who aren't to the age of accountability, they don't understand. I mean, I could tell Malachi to him blue in the face, don't lie, Malachi. And if he lies, it's not a sin in God's eye because he doesn't understand what it, what it means to God. He understands what it means to me. And if he does lie, he may get a spanking. He may get a disciplinary action in some way. But he doesn't understand it's a sin against God. So God doesn't hold Malachi. Malachi's not to the age of accountability yet or to the age of knowledge. This also teaches, this false teaching of, of total depravity, total inability, teaches that uh, that you have no ability to repent. That's just an inability part. You have no ability to repent. You have no ability to trust in Jesus. We know the Bible and, and God in the Bible commands people to repent. He commands people to trust. Not just some people. Not just the uh, quote-unquote elect. But all men everywhere he commands them to repent. Why? Because he's given every single person the ability to. Through the gift of free will. Through the drawing near of his Holy Spirit through the convicting of the Holy Spirit of sin, righteousness, and judgment of the whole world. Okay? So, total depravity, total inability. That's what it teaches. But I have a different uh, letter I'm going to put here today. And by the end, you'll see what word it spells out, out here. But we're going to erase total depravity, total inability. It's not biblical. So we found through our study of it. And what we found uh, was biblical 
is deliberate depravity. Deliberate. Does anyone know what the word deliberate means? Anyone? John? On purpose? That's right, you did it on purpose. See, the word deliberate carries a couple of different connotations to it. It means you did it on purpose. It means you knew what you were doing. So you're to the age of accountability. You understand it's a sin against God, and you did it anyway. So it's deliberate depravity. It's not a matter of, oops, I did an accident. It's not a matter of a baby sinning, because babies can't sin in God's eyes. But it's deliberate depravity. Yeah, we talked about in total depravity that you have something called a flesh that can tempt you to sin. God gives you desires. And you can fulfill those desires in unnatural ways. One way you can fulfill a desire in unnatural ways is if, say, you're, you're hungry. Now, can, can kids, can you overeat if you're hungry? Yeah, you can eat too much, right? And what happens if over a long period of time, if you keep on overeating and overeating, what's going to happen to you? You may gain weight, yeah. John, your dad's showing us what may happen. You can gain weight. If you gain too much weight, what can happen to your health? You can get sick. You can get bad health. You can get a heart attack. Okay. In fact, when I, I lived in Louisiana for a long period of time, and, and the, the, the two main uh, businesses in Louisiana where I lived were uh, food restaurants and hospitals. Now, those things tied closely together. People would always overeat in Louisiana. Everything would be fried food, lots of flavor. They would overeat, and therefore, that's why we need a lot of hospitals in Louisiana. In our small little area where we were, about 100,000 people, we had seven hospitals. That tells you how, how bad in health people were around that area. Okay? But every, every sin that someone commits is deliberate. They know what they're doing, and they do it anyway. Okay? But the, the fact that every single person who ever lived will sin, and every person who ever will live is going to sin, does not mean there's something behind us that makes us sin. We deliberately choose to sin. All, all, all that total depravity proves that everyone's going to sin at one point in time is that everyone's been tempted and everyone chooses to sin. Universal rebellion. So it's deliberate depravity. Okay? Then you and Tulip stands for... Want to give a chance? Caitlin? Unconditional election. Unconditional election. That's right. Unconditional election. And who wants to take a stab at what that means? Daniel? Um, God picks That's right. God picks and chooses who's going to heaven, who's going to hell. And a Calvinist, Calvinist would say that it's from eternity past, a long time ago, before you guys were even thought, before the world was even made, God picked and chose who was going to heaven, who was going to hell. Okay? So before you're born, you are, you're already predestined. You're predestined to go to heaven or to hell, according to this teaching. Okay? Now we know that's not right. That's what it teaches. That you're predestined to go to heaven or hell. It doesn't matter what you do. And what that really says is that God plays favorites. Okay? And the Bible says there's lots of people going to hell and just a few people going to heaven. So let's just take a number here. Let's say we have 100 people. Let's say out of that 100, God picks 20 to go to hell, to go to heaven. 20 go to heaven out of 100 people. Okay? That means 80 are going to hell. What does that mean? That means that God favored the 20 over the 80. Not because of anything wrong the 80 did, or any willful choices they made. I mean, because if, if total depravity is right, they had no choice but to sin. Well, because God just plays favorites. What we learned is that God doesn't play favorites, does He? God loves all of His creation equally. And human beings, He made in His image. In fact, the Bible says that, that uh, He formed you in your mother's womb. 
He knitted you together. And your mother's, in, you knitted your inward parts together while you were still in your mother's womb. So each one of us is a creation of God. Okay? And therefore God loves all of his creation. And he doesn't just want some people to be saved. He wants all to be saved. He wants all to come to a knowledge of truth. He wants all to repent of their sins. Okay? God does not play favorites. In fact, God in the Bible, he says if we play favorites, that we are sinning. So is God going to play favorites then? Of course not, because God doesn't sin. God doesn't, has no sin inside of him. Okay? We also looked at words like chosen and words like foreknowledge and saw what those meant. Chosen can mean precious. Or if it means picked out, it means God chose a certain type of person. A person who's chosen to live for him. A person who's chosen to repent, trust in him, and live the rest of their days for him. That's the kind of person God has chosen. But he doesn't pick individuals. He picks a certain kind of person. Okay? We looked at what the word foreknowledge means. It doesn't always mean from eternity past. He knows. It can just mean like we use my example of my wife. We went to the restaurant. She went to the restroom. The waiter came to our table and said, well, what can I get you to drink? I ordered my wife's favorite drink, water with lemon, and I ordered her favorite dessert, chocolate cake. So we, we, were, we were good to go because I knew from the past what she would like. But it's not because I knew before she was born that she would like water with lemon and she would like chocolate cake. Because I knew a lot about her. And therefore, foreknowledge doesn't always mean like eternity past. God knew of something and he saw into the future. It may just mean he knows about that person. He has knowledge of the person. Okay? Uh, so, I have another, a new uh, word for this. Unconditional election, we know it's out the door. It's not biblical at all. Uh, so we're, we're throwing it out the door here, and we're going to use a different uh, word here to teach what the Bible teaches. Okay? And that is all-around election. All-around election. That means if you just take a look at the people around you, all around you. Take a look at all the people around you. Just, just take a look at people for a second. All the people around you, God wants them all to be part of the elect. God wants them all to be saved. All around election. It means election is open. God has not closed the door on certain people who aren't even born yet. In fact, he hasn't closed the door on most people who are alive now. There are some people who he has closed the door on that are alive now. They're called reprobates. But all around election means that God wants all to be saved. And anytime you're walking down the street, or anytime you're walking in Walmart, wherever you are, you look all around you, God wants everyone around you to be part of the elect. Now, of course, there's conditions to being part of the elect. The conditions are, you have to repent of your sins, you have to trust in Jesus, and to live for Him the rest of your days. That's the condition of being part of the elect, of being part of the people who are saved. This group of people called the elect. So all, we have deliberate depravity, and we have all-around election. Okay, then L, L stands for? Limited atonement. Limited atonement. Good job, Victoria. Limited atonement. All right, who wants to tell me what that means? Right, John? Um, that Jesus died for only certain people and everybody. That's right. Jesus only died for certain people. Now, Calvinists may try to, you know, try to correct me there and say, well, God's Christ's sacrifice on the cross was sufficient for all, but not efficient for all. Okay, but the point of the matter is that when Christ died on the cross, that means that God is only allowing it to apply to certain people. Okay, but there's limited atonement. What it really teaches, like you said, Jenna, that Christ really only died for certain people. The people that God has picked out, as you teaches, picked out beforehand, who are going to be saved. Those are the only people it's possible for Christ's death to apply to. All the other people are just, they're going to hell. 
Doesn't matter. Christ, so really, in a literal sense, Christ did not die for those people. It'd be impossible because then we would have double jeopardy, right? If Christ really suffered our punishment for our sins, like El teaches, like Calvinism teaches, then he'd be punished for our sins, and the people who didn't trust in him be punished for their sins. Two people can't be punished for the same crime, okay? Uh, it, it, but we looked at the, the fact that paying your fine or taking your exact punishment is not what the Bible teaches. What the Bible teaches is this, is that God either demands justice for sin, in other words, you get punished for your sins, what you deserve, which will be hell forever, or Jesus Christ, the sinless, perfect person, the God-man, dies on the cross, sheds his blood, and God sees that and says, well, that's sufficient to me. I'm willing to accept that as a substitute for you being punished for your sins. Those are the two options. The limited atonement teaches that he, he, paid our, he paid our fine, he took our exact punishment, and he only died for many, not the all. What we learn is that Jesus died for all. He died for all that the many, those who will trust in him and will repent of their sins, will be saved. He fulfilled the law. He didn't take our exact punishment. Because what's, what's a lost sinner's exact punishment if they die in their sins? Hell forever. Christ did not go to hell. He didn't go to a million hells. He just died on the cross. And God said that's sufficient to him as a substitution for sinners being punished for their sins. Okay? Jesus died to reconcile us to God the Father. What separates God the Father from sinners is sin. And when Christ died on the cross, God sees his, his, his uh, dying on the cross and says, Okay, I'll pardon you of your sins. I'll treat you, those who repent and trust in me, as if you had never sinned before. Therefore, now you're pure in God's sight and you can have a relationship with the Holy God. Because God is holy, he cannot have a relationship with something that's sinful. Okay? But God pardons a sinner, he, he reconciles us, he treats a sinner as if they don't deserve, he gives them mercy, he gives them grace. Okay? But the, so we know limited atonement is wrong, um, that God, Christ didn't just die for some people. Okay? That he died for all. That the many may be saved. Okay? And the many are those who will repent and who will trust in Jesus Christ. But the new word I have for you here is infinite. Infinite atonement. So instead of limited atonement, which is limited to certain people that God's picked and chose out before the beginning of time, infinite atonement. Infinite means that it's sufficient for everybody. Everyone who ever has lived, everyone who ever will live. Christ's death is sufficient for any of them to come to him. And God wants all of them to come to Him. So it's infinite in that sense. If, we, if this world is kept on going on, we had an infinite amount of people, Christ's death would be sufficient for all of them. Not only is it infinite in that sense, but it's also infinite in this sense. Okay? That Christ's death was so infinitely uh, sufficient that He saw that, you know, the fact that we, we, we're going to go to hell forever if we die in our sins. But Christ's death on the cross, I mean, He didn't go to hell, hell for us, but... It's infinite because he's so precious to God. He's God's son. He's infinitely precious to God, so therefore, that's why it's, it's uh, sufficient in God's sight. So Christ didn't have to receive our exact punishment. He didn't have to go to hell for us. But because he was the son of God, because he was perfect and sinless, just his death on the cross was enough in God's eyes. It was infinitely a, a loving thing for Christ to do. Because he didn't have to do it. Okay? 
So infinite atonement. So we have deliberate depravity. People choose to sin. They're not forced to sin. Uh, but they still have the, even though they choose to sin, they still have the ability to repent and trust. All around election, you look all around you, God wants every single person to be a part of his kingdom. Infinite atonement, Christ was, um, Christ's sacrifice was good enough for anyone to be saved. For anyone and everyone. No matter how many sins that person has committed in their life, they've been a mass, they've been a, a serial murderer, if they've, you know, they've killed people, they've, whatever they've done, that he's able to, to save those through his sacrifice on the cross. Okay, I stands for... Yes? Sir? Irresistible grace, that's right. Irresistible grace. All right, and what, what does that mean? Daniel? God um, brings us to believe. That's right. God brings us to believe. And really, it says God drags us to believe. Okay? See, because from the, the Calvinist teaching of T, total depravity, total inability, we have no ability. In fact, we will never have a desire. To, to come to Christ. We'll never, we'll never seek Him. We'll never seek to know Him. We'll never seek to repent or trust in Him. It's only because God drags us to salvation. He draws us by His grace. He changes us, grants us faith, grants us repentance. So really, God does it all. And that's what Tulip teaches. Tulip teaches that the, the human being is inactive. You do nothing to be saved. God does it all. You're just, it's, like a, it's basically like a, a puppet show. You know, have you ever seen a puppet show? The puppet's on the strings, right? And the public can't do anything. The public really is literally dead. It's not alive. It's just fabric sewn together. But you take the strings and you make the puppet do whatever you want, right? And really that's what Calvinism teaches. That you're dead, you can do nothing, and all you can do is sit there and be dead. But God raises you to life, He makes you walk around and do whatever you want to do. So you're a puppet. So it's really like a big play from the Calvinist perspective. That's what this world is like. Okay? So here's just the grace teaches that God drags you. Uh, you know, God's going to save who He wants. He's going to save Him by dragging the salvation. You have no free will. If God has chosen you, no matter if you don't want to be chosen or not, God will drag you to salvation. And if you want to be chosen, God won't bring you to He'll push you away from salvation. Okay? Uh, so sinners are dead. They have no ability to repent or trust. And God grants them repentance, grants them faith as a gift. Man is totally passive when it comes to salvation. God is the only active person. Okay? What we learned is that the Holy Spirit is attempting to draw all men. The Holy Spirit is convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. That all good things are a gift from God, including free will. God commands us to repent because He gives us the ability to repent. He commands us to believe because He gives us the ability to believe. And, and the word dead in the Bible doesn't mean you can't do anything. It means your relationship with God is dead because of your sin. You've been living in rebellion to Him and His authority in your life. Okay? But man is not passive in salvation. Man is very active. But just because man is active, does that mean he receives any credit for salvation? Does that mean he receives any glory for salvation? Remember, we use that example of the, the man who's, who's out to sea. He's going to drown. He's going to die. The Coast Guard makes a frantic search for this man, this lost man. They finally find him. They toss a life preserver out to this man to save him. He grabs onto this life preserver, they pull him ashore. They have this big news conference, all these cameras and, and, and news reporters, and they say, they start praising the Coast Guard. Oh, this is a good job, Coast Guard, of saving this person. And the man who got saved says, Hold on a second, I saved myself. I'm the one who grabbed onto the life preserver. What do you mean they saved me? I saved myself. 
And it's a ridiculous way of thinking of things. That's not the way it works. He, he, uh, he chose to be saved, but he, he didn't have the ability to save himself. That's the way it is with every lost sinner. We have no ability to save ourselves. You know, that guy could have paddled as fast as he could for as long as he could. He would have never reached anywhere. He would have died after a while. Okay, and that's the way it's with sinners. You can't work your way to heaven. You can't earn heaven. It's given to you as a gift from God by grace. But you must accept it. You must receive it. Okay? And so I have an, so irresistible grace. You know, the grace of God is the most resisted thing in the world. Because God's trying to draw all men near. He's convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. But I'm going to give you a different uh, letter here. It's going to be S. Yes. Stoppable grace. Stoppable grace. You can stop God's grace. Because God wants sinners to be saved, and they reject Him. So the grace of God is stoppable, only because God allows it to be stoppable. Though. God could override our free will if He wanted to. But God wants to be loved freely. You know, if, if I would have went to my wife seven, eight years ago and said, put a gun to her head and said, you're going to marry me, would that be love on her part to marry me? No. That'd be forced. So God wants us to love Him freely. From our heart. From our free will. That's why God gives every man and woman this gift called free will. But grace, the grace of God is stoppable. You can, you can push it away and never accept it, or you can accept it and finally turn away from it. That's, that's the next letter we'll get to here in a second. So, the grace of God is stoppable. It can be stopped by free will. Okay? You know, I hear in the open air a lot, you know, can God make a rock so big he can't lift it? And I'll tell the lost sinner, you're the rock so big God can't lift. Because God's given you free will. You've chosen to harden your heart. You've chosen not to obey God. You've chosen not to repent of your sins and trust in Jesus. Okay? So, the, God's grace is stoppable. Alright, what does P stand for? You know. Perseverance of the saints. That's right. Perseverance of the saints. Yeah. Alright, who wants to tell me what that means? Victoria does. Daniel? That's right. That's good. And, and one, of the, one of the sayings that's used often with this is once saved, always saved. O-S-A-S. -S. Once saved. That's what it means. Now, there's a little bit different between once saved, always saved, and perseverance of the saints. But I'll tell you what, this should really be called, if they're consistent, preservation of the saints. Because perseverance means that you're actually doing something. But from the, from the Calvinist point of view, from Tulip's point of view, you're not doing anything. God's the one keeping you. You know, you couldn't leave God if you wanted to. That's what perseverance of the saints means. Okay, so it really should be called preservation of the saints. Because God's preserving somebody. They're not persevering. That, see, see, Calvinists teach that you've been changed so, either two different ways. You've been changed so much that there's no way you're going to go back. So therefore you lack free will. Or you have limited free will. Or it teaches that, you know, it doesn't matter what you do from there on out, you're saved no matter what. Okay, so perseverance of the saints says uh, that a Christian may sin, but they'll always come back to God. They'll never uh, finally or totally depart from the faith. They'll always come back to God. Okay? If they don't come back to God, if someone says they're a Christian, but they don't come back to God, they die in their sins, or maybe they're practicing sin. That's one of the key words, practicing sin. They'll say, well, that person was never saved in the first place. 
Yeah, lifestyle of sin. That's, that's one of the key words we hear from Paul Losh on his modern American Christianity. Okay? We listened to that yesterday. A light, what, is, what does lifestyle of sin mean? I mean Where's the line drawn? I mean, is it drawn at three sins a day or four sins a day? Five? Is it once a week? I mean, where's the line drawn? You know, so this whole word prayer, it makes it, makes it very uh, subjective. But God's against all sin. Okay? And God wants to repent of all sin, live a life of holiness. Alright, so, but it says once saved, always saved. And it says if you're practicing, you're called a false convert. Now what this does is if someone really had a genuine experience with God in the past, and now they, they've fallen into sin, they're living in sin, now they're, telling, they're being told by someone who's a Calvinist, you were never saved in the first place. So this makes them doubt their past experience with God. And therefore, if their experience with God this time that they're trying to have isn't as great as their past experience, I think, well, I can never be saved. And it leads to the fatalism, the defeatism, and they just, they just probably wallow in the mire and they can never come back. Okay? But this teaching, like I said, leads to one or two things. It leads to no free will, or at least a very limited free will, because you can't leave the faith, or it leads to you're saved no matter what you do. Lawlessness. You can sin all you want, and you're still and you hear that a lot from different teachers today and preachers. They can do whatever they want, it doesn't matter. Okay? But we learned that not, not all true believers stay true believers, according to Scripture. In fact, we looked at five large passages that show this from the Old Testament and the New Testament. We also saw that there's people like King Saul, Judas Iscariot, and other people that Paul named individually who had departed from the faith. We also saw that in the last times, many will depart from the faith. But the Bible says that, that the son of perdition, the Antichrist, will not be revealed until people depart from the faith. So if, if Calvinism is right, then we'll never see the Antichrist. The Antichrist will never come. But we know that's not true. We saw that we must finish the race. We must abide in Christ. We saw that Israel was an example to us. That if Israel was cut off, so can we be cut off. You know, there's lots of warnings against falling away and lots of if statements in the Bible. It's showing that there's a great possibility for someone to depart from the faith. Okay? We also saw there's parables in the Bible to, that warn someone who doesn't persevere to the end. Like the parable of the evil servant, the parable of the ten virgins, the parable of the sower. Those are all warning people of those who will not persevere to the end. This is all the seven churches of Asia in Revelation. How Jesus, only those who persevere to the end, will, I mean, why would he even say that? If they're all going to persevere, why even bother mentioning it? Yeah, so, it, someone can backslide, we learned. Former Christians, not, not only can backslide, they can become reprobates. Reprobate means you can never come back to God. You have no ability to come back to God any longer. But we learn there's a difference between a backslider and a reprobate. But God is able to keep someone from falling. God always has the power available to us to keep us from falling from grace. The question is this. Will people use the free will given to them by God to abide in Him and run the race to the end? So the last one I have here is why. That's right. And why stands for your race, your race to finish. Now that, that's not saying that you have to finish it on your own strength or finish it on your own power. It's saying you have to finish the race. 
You have to choose your free will to finish the race. Okay, so what we have here is we have Daisy. Okay? We had Tulip. Now we have Daisy. Deliberate depravity, you choose to sin, no one makes you sin. You're not born a sinner, you choose to sin. Uh, you're not guilty for anyone else's sin. You're guilty for your own sin and your own sin alone. All around election, you look all around you, God wants everyone to be part of the elect, part of the chosen people, part of the, the saved people of God. He wants everyone to be saved, not just a few people. But the problem is only a few will be saved because only a few choose salvation. Infinite atonement. Christ's uh, bloodshed of the cross was infinitely a wonderful sacrifice, but it's infinitely uh, good enough to save anyone, no matter how large their, their, their sins are, no matter how many sins they've committed. And everybody who's ever been born or ever will be born, Christ's death on the cross is sufficient for them. Stoppable grace. God's grace is the most resisted thing in the world. He's trying to draw all men near, the Holy Spirit is. He's convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. The people are stopping His grace, His drawing power, by their free will. They harden their hearts, they stiffen their neck, they close their ears. Like those people were running at Stephen, they closed their ears and, and just ran right at him. They didn't want to hear what he had to say. They came running at him. And then we have your race to finish. There's a race. And I want to look at just three scriptures to, to end this, this whole series here. Turn to 1 Corinthians 9, chapter 24. First Corinthians 9 and verse 24. It says this, it says, uh, Do you not know that those who run a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. But I discipline my body, and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. See, Paul, the Apostle Paul over and over again in Scripture uses the Christian life as a race. If you're going to train for a race, what are you going to do? You're going to eat right? You're going to run every day? You're going to train yourself? You're going to work your body? And he says, he uses the fighting example here too. You're not going to fight in the air. If you're going to fight, you're going to hit a box, you're going to hit a, you know, the punching bag. You're going to spar with a real person. Okay? You're not going to just beat the air. It's not going to train you. Alright? You're, you're actually going to hit something. He says, I disciplined my body. Now, this is the Apostle Paul. That he could become disqualified for salvation. Okay, so if people who compete in uh, sports, sporting events and boxing events, they train their body to do as best they can to obtain money or a belt or some kind of trophy, how should we live if we're going to obtain our eternal salvation? Which is so much more important than a trophy or some money or, or a, a belt with gold on it. We should discipline ourselves. Alright, let's turn to uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4. In verse 7. Timothy's right before Titus. This is the end of this is the end of Paul's life here. He's writing this letter to his 
his son in the faith, Timothy. He says this, he says in verse 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. So he's fought the good fight. He's finished the race. So the end of his life. I have kept the faith. Now, if he's kept the faith, surely he could have lost the faith. He's saying, I kept it though. I finished the race. One more verse. Hebrews chapter 12. says this, verse 1, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the thing which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So here I have again, this is Paul probably writing Hebrews. We don't really know if he wrote it or not, but we, we can pretty much say he did by his, his wording and how he says things. He says, let us run the race with endurance. The race set out before us. You know, if he's ever watched the Olympics or someone who's running a race, you have two guys running. One has ankle weights on, one doesn't. Who's going to run faster? One doesn't have ankle weights. So anything's weighing you down this race of life, whether it's a person, whether it's a job, whether it's a certain thing, you lay it aside. You're running for Jesus Christ. And again, like, that, like I said, this, your race to finish isn't saying that you're the one doing it in your own strength. Look at here, it says, Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of your faith. But it's, a, it's, a, it's a, an active effort, effort on both parts. God doesn't just finish your faith for you. He expects you to read the Word, He expects you to pray, expects you to be in fellowship, expects you to witness, expects you to worship Him in the Spirit and in truth. All these things will help you finish the race like you should. Okay? So, this is the truth. Tulip is not the truth. And hopefully you guys have seen that. So deliberate depravity. You've chosen to sin. No one made you sin. You're not born a sinner. You're not guilty for anyone's sin. You're guilty only for your own sin. All around election, God wants all to be saved. The only ones who, who He doesn't want to be saved are those who have rejected Him so much that He's turned them over to a reprobate mind. Okay? But all around election, infinite atonement. Christ's death is sufficient for all of mankind, and God wants all of mankind to be saved. Okay? Stoppable grace. God's grace is the most resistant thing in the world. But God doesn't want us to resist. He wants us to give in. He wants us to submit to His grace, His drawing power, and trust in Him, repent of our sins, and live the rest of our life for Him. And it's our race to finish. It's a race. It's not like when you, when you became a Christian, oh, I'm done. It's all over with. No, it's, it's a marathon. Not a hundred-yard dash. It's a marathon. We need to run the race to the end. And, and Jesus even talks about people counting the cost. He talks about building. I mean, what would you do if you were, if you were driving down this neighborhood, and all the houses here, except for this house, all they had was the foundation? Or maybe some houses had, you know, the first floor, but not the second floor done. Maybe they had the first and second floor done, but they had no roof over the house. He probably think that builder wasn't very smart, right? The problem with the builder, he didn't count the cost. So when you become a Christian, you understand that you are expected to persevere to the end. It's not going to be an easy thing. Training for race, training for boxing, having the right money and, and trying to make sure you have enough money to build a house, it takes effort. It takes, it takes using your free will to, to make things work. 
So, we got a daisy here. And personally, I like daisies, daisies better than tulips anyway. And, uh, yeah, daisy's the true statement. Tulip is wrong, daisy is right. So does anyone have any questions about daisy or tulip? So, so which, which one's right? Daisy. That's right. Which one's wrong? Tulip. That's right. All right, so... Deliberate depravity, all around election, infinite atonement, stoppable grace, your race to finish.